Hi, and welcome to more CSU. I'm your host, Jahan Colbert. I'm the Vice President of Institutional Advancement here at Central State University. And I'm also here to shed some light on some stories you might not yet know, but you need to know. So in the studio today, we've got two guests with us. First, we've got Craig Schlettenhofer, and also we have John Henry. And we're going to be joined by John in a little bit, but we're going to be discussing some things with, as everybody likes to call him, including me, is, is Dr. Craig, because your last name is kind of a mouthful there. And unfortunately, I get a little tongue-tied there. But Craig, I want to introduce yourself and tell a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, so I came to Central State from the University of Kentucky, where I got my Ph.D. in plant physiology. Before that, I did my master's work at Purdue University in plant pathology, and my undergraduate degrees were in horticulture science and plant genetics and breeding, also at Purdue University. So I grew up in Indiana, was born in Kentucky, and kind of made my way back there for my Ph.D., and that's where I got involved with hemp. And your title here at Central State is Assistant Research Professor of Natural Products in our Agriculture Research Development Program, correct? Yes. Okay. And you're here, you're heading up our hemp program. Correct. So I think that one of the things that people are really curious about, including myself, is when people speak of hemp, there seems to be a lot of confusion sometimes that goes with that. So maybe you can help clarify things such as when people don't know the difference between CBD and THC, and then what exactly are you guys doing at Central State with hemp research, and how does that tie into a university? Yeah, so there's a lot of points there. I'll start with clarifying what hemp is. There's a common misconception when people hear the word hemp. They have been trained over decades to think marijuana. The two terms have been used interchangeably, but that's not the case. There's a legal distinction, especially now with the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill that decriminalized hemp and removed it from the list of controlled substances. It is defined at the federal level as having less than 0.3% of this compound we call Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol. And so that's a compound that when ingested into the body or inhaled or taken in in some form, gives the intoxicating effects that people associate with marijuana. And so hemp, by definition, has such a low level of it that it's not intoxicating versus marijuana, which is intoxicating. And so, again, that level for hemp is less than 0.3%. The average material in like a recreational market, such as Colorado or Washington, those states are averaging about 15% THC in them. So there's quite a bit of difference. The uses are very different. And so for what I call marijuana, some people don't care for that term for various reasons, but I use it for differentiation purposes only. That you have recreational uses or you have some of this medicinal uses for some of the effects that the THC could provide to various patients. But the plant has over 120 different cannabinoids in it, of which THC is just one of those. 
Another main component in the cannabis plant, which includes both hemp or marijuana, is cannabidiol or CBD, which you hear a lot about in the news. And so that's a non-intoxicating compound, so people could ingest it. It has these effects on the body, but it's not producing any kind of high or these effects associated with marijuana consumption. They're more sedative, so some people like to use it for sleep aid. It's got anti-inflammatory properties. People like the pain-relieving properties of it. And so that's really what's driving the interest in a bunch of these other cannabinoids. But the plant's more than just that. So hemp has had its longest uses actually as a natural fiber. So it's a very strong fiber plant. We get the fibers from the stems of the plant, and those were traditionally used to make rope, but are now used in products such as car parts, where the fiber adds strength in place of like fiberglass, but it's also a lot lighter. And so you maintain that you have a much higher strength to weight ratio. And so you could improve that fuel efficiency of the vehicle by making it a lighter vehicle, but you don't compromise the integrity of the vehicle. And so there's a lot of different applications for the fiber. People are interested in these, what we call hempcrete, which is essentially a concrete, but instead of using stone as a binder, we use parts of the stalk of the hemp plant. And that creates essentially a carbon negative product because you're taking carbon that the plant pulled out of the air and trapped into the, the woody part of the stem, and now you're locking it in a stone and so you have a true carbon negative product. So hemp is used, from, from what I'm hearing, for some health benefits. Mm-hmm. And also, you mentioned like rope and different things like that. So how long has this research been going on? Because it seems as if it's pretty much all new to everybody now. So it sounds like, though, some research and some things have been taking place long before it's kind of reached the forefront. Yeah, so it depends on where you're at, because some countries have never actually banned the use of hemp There's international regulations governing marijuana and the intoxicating use of it, of the cannabis plant, but hemp itself in a number of countries, particularly for the fiber or another useful part, is the seed oil, which is a very healthy oil. The seed's high in protein, so it has a lot of benefits as well. Some of those products weren't necessarily outlawed in other countries, and so they continue to grow. They had research going on to some extent. Particularly in Europe, it's been doing it for close to 25, I think, years now. Um, Same with Canada. They've been growing it in Canada and a lot of the providences up there for a while, since the really since the early 1990s. And so we get this information about the crop from a lot of other states. It's really not a new crop to the U.S. It was grown here since colonial times up and through the mid-50s, but it was at which point basically replaced by synthetic fiber because at that point in time, its really only use was for fiber applications and particularly making rope and twine. And so those got competed out by synthetic fibers, cheaper natural fibers from the international market. And it was in the 70s when the seeds and any of the leaf part of the plant got included in that definition of marijuana that really prohibited hemp production because without a seed or a cutting of a plant, you can't start another plant. And so when those were scheduled one compounds, they were effectively prohibiting hemp production. So other countries have been 
kind of at the forefront of this, and then we're kind of picking it up a little bit, kind of following their lead, so to speak, a little bit? Yes, to some extent. There's been a lot of research in other countries, but since the U.S. is the major consumer of any of the hemp products from other countries, and so most of it's coming here, and so there's really interest in bringing production back to the U.S. So we've been allowed to, I'll say, import hemp products before any of these legal things kind of came into play. Yes, that is correct. And um, so there was people interested in bringing that production back to the U.S. And it's also with the U.S. getting involved in it, particularly now with more of the medical applications, that's really what's driving interest, a renewed interest in it. And so while we're behind kind of on the research and playing catch up for what we know from Canada for the grain production or Europe for the fiber production, the U.S. has been really leading the medicinal components of the plant. And so now other countries are playing catch up to us on that, although that's there's so much research that needs to be done that we're still in the very infancy of this industry and establishing it within the U.S., but it's providing a lot of benefits to both the growers of the crop as well as the consumers. And so we're taking all that information from other people and synthesizing it in a way that we could use it for our country. So I guess why Central State? Why how, how did it come about that Central State is now a research institute is in regards to hemp? Yeah, so we have a land grant program here, part of the being an 1890 land grant institution and part of that is to do research that is going to help all people in the, in the citizens in the state particularly, but in the U.S. overall. And with that, we're trying to find areas that we need more research in. There's a lot of topics, and with, particularly with the traditional crops like corn and soybean across the state, that Ohio State, which has been a big land grant for a number of years doing research in that area, we know a lot about that crop already. And so... Hemp is something nobody really knows much about in the U.S. and how to best grow it, what's the best varieties for our region. Um, there's a lot of things that don't necessarily carry over from the other countries, when it, particularly when it comes to production practices and in even developing new uses and technologies associated with the crop to make it more efficient, which the U.S. is really good at doing, particularly relative to other countries. And so that gives us a niche that pretty much is open for research and nobody really has a good foothold in that door yet. And so this is an area where we can make our mark and really bring the expertise to the university to succeed in this area. And so um, that was part of why I was hired on as a research faculty here because I'd been working with this crop in Kentucky since 2014, which that was the that farm bill in 2014 allowed states to really start researching this as an option for a crop. And then due to the success, it was fully decriminalized in the 2018 farm bill. And so because I've been working with it, as long as anybody else has legally in the U.S., my expertise was valuable to bring to the state of Ohio as we implemented a not just research, but actual hemp production program, which is about to start uh, this this year. And so, so we offer so we're offering something to Ohio citizens that is of interest, and 
hopefully all be of value to the citizens of Ohio. So Central State University, my understanding is that it was the first university in the state of Ohio to get approved for research? Yeah. So when the state bill passed, so the federal farm bill passed in December of 2018, but the state still had to differentiate hemp from marijuana in its state code because that state code has to match the federal code, at least at the minimum requirements. And so in the end of July, Governor DeWine had signed the bill that removed hemp from the state list of controlled substances and established a commercial hemp industry in the state of Ohio. Now, in that, there's normally people have to get uh, growers and processors have to go through a licensing process. And so once the bill passes, the Ohio Department of Ag, which is now in control of that program, has to develop all these rules and regulations. But as a university, there was an exemption in there that we just had to have approval from the Ohio Department of Ag, not necessarily have a license. And so we were able to apply for that as soon as the bill was signed. We sent that in. Several other universities sent that in, and we all received approval back on the 5th of August. But we were the, once we had that approval, we were all set, and we were able to be the first university to get seeds within the ground within a matter of minutes of getting that approval. And so that was an exciting point for us. I mean, it's not often you get to be first at something, especially with a university our size, and competing up against other really large land-grant so, institutions. So, so literally, did you have all the pots all in place and everything and the seeds just sitting there waiting to go in? Yeah, we, the earth? we knew it was coming. We knew we were going to get approval. It was just a matter of what day that was coming. The ODA would approve us. And so we had the ground ready. We That's had great. some pots ready in the greenhouse. And so we planted some seeds in the field as well as in the greenhouse Green. within about 10 so, minutes of getting that so to, approval. To help me understand, so with the research now, are we in place to be able to help people in the state of Ohio as products and different things are being developed where it kind of comes through us for additional research and or approval? Yeah, so we're at the point where we're starting working with several companies that have reached out to us that want to get research going. And so we're working on getting funding in place, all the requirements, particularly waiting on getting licenses approved for those companies before they could do anything. But we're working with uh, getting that kind of research in place with companies working on trying to get research in place using uh, federal funding. So been applying for grants to bring in federal money to study particular areas. And so we're just trying to facilitate the whole industry within the state. So I've been doing a lot of work with our extension division to provide education to people that may be interested in growing or processing hemp this coming season, especially as this will be the first season Ohio growers will be able to grow the plant outside. Oh, fantastic. So with that, look, we appreciate everything that you're doing and that you will be doing here at Central State. It's exciting times for us regarding the research and looking forward to what tomorrow will bring and things that are going to be growing. So we'll have to have you back and discuss some things, how things are progressing for you. So, But thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. You're welcome very much. All right. And next, we're going to be speaking with uh, our guest, John Henry, who is leading our agriculture program in new directions through partnerships and strategic initiatives. So welcome to the show, John. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me over. I'm, I'm sure that when we talk about agriculture education, it will be quite as technical as the hemp research that Dr. Craig's talking about, <laughs> but definitely glad to be here and excited to be part of Central State's team developing these agricultural programs. Yeah. Now, John, you you and I have been been working together on some projects and everything, and I've, I've just really been enjoying that and just learning so much that I just didn't realize about agriculture. And so with that said, I think this is great time to give a little bit of background on yourself, but also kind of chat a little bit about what agriculture really means to Central State. Sure. I think, obviously, I was excited four years ago when I started here as the director of the School of Agriculture Education because there's such a high demand for educators who have a background and knowledge of content of agriculture. In our area, we're fairly limited in the major crops that we produce in the state of Ohio. And usually I like to start out and ask people, you know, when you think of agriculture, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And so for you, John, what's that? Food. Food. Okay. Well, you're a little bit different because a lot of people say farming, right? So our youth in the state of Ohio and parents and previous generations, they see agriculture as farming. And for years and years, the population of farmers is actually being reduced as the size of farms grow. And so the challenge has been overcoming the idea that there's not a career in agriculture, there's not a career in farming because there's not a lot of farmers in the state. But actually, agriculture is considered one of the high demand jobs in the state of Ohio, and there's a shortage of students or people to fill the jobs in agriculture-related careers in the state. And so in order to do that, there's a lot of education involved about what those careers are and the technical skills involved with performing those careers. So with that, another thing that a lot of people don't know is that there's 612 school districts in the state of Ohio, and only about 350 of them have an ag science education program. And I say only 350, but a lot of people say, wow, 350, I had no idea. 28,000 students, grades 7 through 12, who are currently participating in ag science education in the state of Ohio alone. And that means there's a need for about 450 ag teachers. But with a reduced number of students who pursue a degree in agriculture, let alone in agriculture education, we just don't have a supply of teachers and educators to be able to teach about agriculture and food production, food distribution systems, research in agriculture. And so that's created a need for an expansive programming for that in the state. So with that, what exactly are you doing at Central State to help that and help the state of Ohio? Yeah, so we started 2016 when the state designated specific dollars to start an ag teacher preparation program here at Central State. And the purpose for that was there were Ohio State University offers an ag teacher preparation program, and Wilmington College offers an ag teacher education program. And it's the only two places that you can get licensed to be a secondary public school ag science teacher in the state of Ohio. Although there's 26 community college and two-year technical schools that offer an agricultural content associate's degree. And so my role for the last two and a half years has been to build partnerships with those two-year colleges, community colleges and technical schools, in order to create a seamless transfer pathway to get more students into an ag education program and licensed to teach and prepare to go out and educate the public about agricultural careers, agricultural sciences. And then in addition to that, to building those partnerships with community colleges, just to be out amongst the ag education network in the state and 
raise awareness that Central State University has an ag education program. We have agricultural research faculty. We are a newly designated 1890 land-grant university that's going to be able to provide resources to the citizens in the state of Ohio and the organizations in the state of Ohio for agricultural activity. So those are the types of things that I've been out doing, building partnerships and developing these transfer agreements and trying to recruit students to study agriculture at Central State. So you mentioned Ohio State and Wilmington as other institutions that offer ag education. So why Central State? Why should a student come to Central State as opposed to the other universities or even go outside the state for that? Yeah, well, and I think that's a good question because when I first started, the first year I went to the National FFA Convention. FFA is a Future Farmers of America. I went to the National FFA Convention in Indianapolis, and they have 100 colleges and universities who have a college fair there for these 300,000 FFA members who attend that national convention who are studying ag ed. And as I walked from booth to booth and talked to the college and universities, I came across several out-of-state colleges, and the students who were working in those booths were ag education majors, future ag teachers, and they were from Ohio. And in a good example, we had there were three students that worked at the Moorhead State booth, and those three students, I said, you're ag ed and you live in Ohio. You moved from Ohio to Moorhead State. And I said, why are you, know, you leaving the state for that? And they said that either Ohio State was a, too big of a campus and there were a lot of students, so that was intimidating for them, or Wilmington College is a private institution, so it was too expensive for them. And so to get a public education at a small school in agriculture, they had to leave the state. And so oftentimes when those students leave the state, that's where they build their network. That's where they do their, have their experiences. And so they grow roots there and stay and don't come back into Ohio. And so I think Central State becomes a good fit for an Ohio student who wants a small campus environment, wants to study agriculture, maybe doesn't know specifically what they want to do in agriculture because they don't have a wide variety of things that they know about. So I think that is why Central State is a good fit for them. And in addition to that, I think that Central State's unique in that we have, we're new at some of these programs. And so we're really focused on a lot of things that more people can do. More people can do the things that we have available because they're on such on a smaller scale. There's less youth that can get involved with growing corn and there's less youth that can get involved with growing soybeans and growing wheat. But when you diversify into all of these other research areas like hemp and uh, the research that's ongoing with honeybees and soil and water conservation, and you expand into those things, students can associate and apply those things more or, or gain access to those different areas in agriculture. How's the affordability at Central State versus the other institutions? Central State's the cheapest, the lowest tuition, most affordable, lowest tuition in the state of Ohio. And so when you talk about the growing student debt problem, students are coming into universities all over the state or all over the nation, really, and spending a lot of money and coming out with a lot of debt and it really sets them back and limits what they can do after they graduate. And so we've established in ag ed, we are working on developing scholarship programs. And our goal has always been through our advisory, our industry-based advisory board is have students come here, study agriculture, earn a four-year degree, and graduate debt-free through a combination of financial aid and scholarships here. And especially if they're from Ohio and they're nearby, they can commute, so it saves them some money on room and board. Most affordable four-year agriculture degree in the state. Fantastic. Tell me a little bit in our audience some things that you're working on now. Yeah, so lots of things. It's 
hard to narrow them down because it seems like there's all kinds of stuff that's happening. But we have uh, about 15, 16 students currently enrolled in ag ed who are studying. And so we're working them through the four-year curriculum. We've got, of those 15 students, interesting enough, we've only had the academic program for two years. But of the 15 students, seven of them are juniors. Okay. So in two years, we've got seven juniors because they're transferring from community colleges and completing their degree. Mm-hmm. But that's a challenge because there's not a seamless transfer pathway. So a lot of what I'm doing now is building these articulation agreements with the community colleges. We now have in two years, we have three signed agreements, one with Clark State Community College, one with Edison State Community College, and a new one with Hawking College, where the students that graduate from there can seamlessly transfer to Central State to complete their four-year but also trying to build in, build the curriculum of the Ag Ed bachelor's degree for students to be able to get extra learning experience. And so with that, we're trying to open up field and clinical experiences that they can do, internship opportunities. And part of our driving goal in Ag Ed is to have students graduate with a more global perspective on agriculture. And so to do that, we're working on some international projects where students can study abroad and go experience agriculture in another country and bring those experiences back to students and youth that they'll be teaching here in the future. Oh, fantastic. So a little birdie told me that that it might be some things with the Bahamas possibly. And Yeah, sure. We've been working on some of that. We recently visited and learned that the Bahamas actually, similar to the United States, has a place as a national priority on their food production. And we learned that the Bahamas actually considers themselves in a food crisis because they don't produce a lot of their own food and they're completely dependent on importing food from the U.S. And so that's difficult for their economy. And so they have created, uh, the Minister of Agriculture in the Bahamas has developed a agricultural institute called BAMSI, Bahamas Agriculture and Marine Science Institute. And so we had the opportunity to visit there in November, and we're actually currently working with a local high school here in the U.S., Global Impact STEM Academy, and the Bahamian government to develop an international student exchange program where secondary students from the U.S. and Ohio Ag Ed can go to the Bahamas and learn about their agricultural production and food distribution system. And students from the Bahamas, secondary students, can come to Central State and live here for 10 days in the summer and learn about agricultural education in Ohio in hopes that those students will decide, I want to pursue a degree in agriculture and learn more about oh, fantastic cultural awareness. Are there online courses right now that high school students can take? And are there any kind of summer programs or different things that we offer? There is. Through the land-grant programs, there's the REAP summer camp for secondary high school students. So students can come spend a week on campus. They actually would be apprentices of the research faculty for a week. We also have a Seed to Bloom program that occurs in the summer for middle school students, grades 7 and 8. And then we have a partnership with the Ohio Farm Bureau where they sponsor an Explore Ag program for a week specifically designed for high school students to explore agricultural careers. And you would have, those are the three summer programs. But in addition to that, we have a course, a three-semester hour course, Introduction to Sustainable Agriculture, that students who are enrolled in high school programs or in high school can enroll and take that Intro to Sustainable Ag course as a college credit plus course and get credit for that while they're still in high school. Oh, fantastic. 
That is great. Well, listen, one thing that I'm hearing from both of you guys is 1890 Land Grant Institution. So I know that a lot of people probably have questions really about what exactly is an 1890 Land Grant Institution. I think that you two have helped kind of define that a little bit, but is there something else that Dr. Craig or you, John, that kind of want to chime in and say what exactly is an 1890 Land Grant Institution? I find it struggling sometimes out in the public because a lot of our public are unaware of what a land-grant institution is, let alone what an 1890 land-grant institution is. And so I think if we go back in history and you study what a land-grant institution is, the mission of a land-grant institution was to train people in agriculture-related subject matter. And in the original Morrill Act, the universities were given land for the purpose of using that land as a resource to train students in these agriculture and actually military tactics was a part of that original. 1862 is when the first land grant was passed. And I think the first, you could probably check check my facts on this, but I think the first land grant institution in the nation was Michigan State. Craig, what do you, is that... Fall in line I with say, <laughs> I think it's either that one or possibly Iowa State. Iowa State. Okay, so, but I'm not a positive either. Yeah, so a lot of the land grants at that at that time were in the northern part of the United States during 1862 during the Civil War, and so in 1890 there was actually a second land grant that gave land grant status to universities who offered programs for African American students, and so we now have. 19, with the addition of Central State University, we have 19 1890 land-grant institutions who are offering agricultural programs in the nation. Oh, fantastic. And my researchers just told me that Iowa State, Dr. Craig, is the first oh, Craig, uh, 1862 <laughs> land-grant institution. I watched an online video that said otherwise, but that doesn't mean it was accurate. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. Well, so Central State is the 19th 1890 land-grant institution. 19th 1890 land-grant. I think one thing that's also worth pointing out about this is because the 1890s were really to help the African-American population that was struggling to get into the 1862 institutions, most of them were located within the southern part of the United States. And so we're really one of two, only two of those 1890 institutions in what the USDA classifies as the Midwest, with the other one being Missouri. And so we're really the only state in Ohio here to have an 1890 institution that was in, at the time of the Civil War, would have been a Union state in the the northern part. So it gives Ohio something very unique that a, a lot of other states don't have, and particularly in the context of our location. And so it provides an opportunity for diverse students to come all across a a wide region to here to get a unique experience. So we are here to, with our extension offices, to assist local farmers in the state of Ohio. And we're in partnership, I think, with Ohio State, who's an 1862 land-grant institution, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and not just uh, not just farmers in the state of Ohio. I think it's important to point out, like, so extension really has four key areas. Mm-hmm. One is in youth development. One is in family and consumer sciences, community and economic development, and then ag, food, and natural resources. So those four key areas is what the mission of extension, central state extension, tied to the land-grant institution is really for. And so I think 
you know, especially there's lots of areas in the state of Ohio who have a large number of people living below the poverty level. And so reaching out and being able to help those citizens in those four areas is key to the 1890 land grant mission. Well, gentlemen, it's been wonderful chatting with you. I'm going to have to have both of you back and do some follow-up and see how things are progressing. But thank you for joining us on our first program here. And we look forward to some exciting things at Central State. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.